Hi, everybody, and welcome back to How to Run a Good Walk. And we are now on episode 14. And me and Josh have a special guest, Chris Hansen. Welcome, Chris. Okay. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Um, special guest, eh? That's, um, is, that, is that a good Royalty, thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, great to be on, mate. Good, good to speak to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, uh, we said this one text, didn't we? Like, I can't, be, I can't believe how long it's been. Like, me and Chris went from spending quite a lot of time with each other for a period um, to not seeing each other probably it's nearly enough over a year yeah so if you're brand new to the podcast everybody we have these sections chopper of the week which i'm going to admit something right now in a second we have tall trash talk uh we've also then got tech talk and we've also usually have what's your beef we're not doing that right now are we josh we're not doing what's your beef right now because we're all just beefing about the same thing not being able to play golf so we're going to leave that where it is until we can get back on the golf course and get some new beefs while we're playing but i'm gonna to admit to this one now chris so tuesday night me and josh are all set up ready to go i'm thinking oh you know what i'll text chris saying oh ready mate when you are no response got still at quarter past six not heard from chris i'm thinking chris is usually quite punctual he's usually here like early yeah i'd only read tuesday as thursday and thursday is tuesday oh my god so what we basically found <laughs> out is alex can't read um, oh. so any organization I'm gonna have to double check from now on um because we were sat there like two melons waiting for oh. Chris. So yeah, it's half past thinking and... yeah, this, this guy's late. <laughs> and you've proved that I'm quite punctual because I text you at six o'clock saying I'm ready. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, Chris, I'm gonna move swiftly off from me. Um we want to hear any funny story of some capacity in golf. It can be from tour, yeah. preferably a juicy one from tour, wouldn't it? That'd be, that'd be unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not main tour juicy, but it, it, it's just something I found quite funny when I was thinking back at some some stories. And you know him well, Steve Tooby, an old caddy of mine. I'll give you two, I'll give yeah. you two. So a quick one. So I, one year, I think it's 2010, maybe 11, 10, we were travelling around in, in his VW camper van. He had this bright, bright yellow Lamborghini, yellow VW uh, surfboard, <laughs> sur- surfboard tables, uh, subwoofers, optics on the wall, bright yellow, matched his hair. And uh, we, we slept in it, not top and tail, we slept in it head to head. And uh, we were playing Witchwood Park, PGA North Region event. And uh, so we slept in the car park. So Witchwood Park, you can imagine, you can picture a car, it's quite a private state, you're driving. And uh, played first round, parked up in the corner of the car park, somewhere a bit secluded, gets to nine o'clock, everyone's disappeared, there's only us left, so... We have our dinner in the in the in the van, door open, get snuggled up for bed. So we're in boxer shorts, that's it, sleeping bag, snuggled up. <laughs> gets to gets to midnight, Tubi needs a pee. So shutter door comes open. The van's got disco lights in it. So the disco lights are flashing on the door. <laughs> so we're not we're not thinking anything of it at this time. And uh 20 minutes later, knock on the van door. Security guard has obviously seen it on the CCTV. He's this girl. It's going on. <laughs> Knocks on the door. Tubi gets up, start bollock naked, Barry's boxer shorts, slides the door back. Security guard's like, hey, mate, what, are you, what are you doing in here? Steve's like, I'm caddying. There's a tournament on. I'm just caddying for, for my boss. Oh, oh, fair enough. That's interesting. Next minute, I sit up, no top on as well. <laughs> <laughs> Security. <laughs> Security guard gives it the bloody hell, mate. There's two of you in there. <laughs> um, so, that, so that was a nice little, nice little one. We've, we've had a few like that, to be fair. Um, and to be honest, I spent so much time with that guy. We've got some some belters and another quick one. We were this was a tour event, so this is Germany BMW Open in, in 
Munich, I think. And we're on the range. It's quite a tight range. Like the fans are like only ten yards behind you, and it's and there's not many spaces. So we're uh, twenty minutes before walking to the putting green before teeing off. And he says to me, he says, Chris, I need to go to the toilet. I'm, I'm just going to disappear for a minute. This is not like to be like, he's punctual. Like he's ex-military, he's on it. So he rushes off to the toilet. He comes back and he's got his jumper wrapped around his, trout, his shorts and he'd shit himself oh, on the range. <laughs> and he'd, he'd, he'd caught... <laughs> he'd shit himself. And he had these cream, these cream shorts on and he'd had to disappear to the toilet, took his shorts off, thinned his boxers, he had to rinse his shorts out in the toilet, put them back on, because that's all he had, put his jump around, and hopefully they'll dry out by the time we got somewhere around, around the golf course. And he, he crapped himself. So, so, yeah, so we, we're walking to the first tee with his jumper wrapped around himself, 10 minutes to spare, and he crapped himself. So that's another Steve <laughs> Tooby. Another Steve Tooby nugget for you. So. But Steve he was thanking to... you for that one, were not he? Yeah, no, I've already wrote about that and told everyone, sir. But he's he's still out on tour now, caddying for Xander Lombard. So he's uh, he's a star, superstar. So they might I, I tell you what, they're see, seeing those disco lights. That security guard's not thinking about two golfers, is he? He's answering <laughs> no. that door, thinking, I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah, yeah. The other so, thing yeah. as well, golf is depicted as being quite glamorous, isn't it? Uh, oh, yeah, it shows. Crapping yourself on a range and sleeping in a camper van. <laughs> but on, on a serious note, Chris, on that point, I remember I got a fangirl, Chris here. I met, oh. I've, already, I've already fangirled him once before when I first met him. <laughs> oh, you watched you at uh, Motcham Hall. I think oh. you, you won that event, didn't you? Yeah, um, I, did, mate, I remember yeah. seeling Chris there and he won the event at Motcham Hall, Euro Pro event. But so were you were you travelling around in with Tubi in that camper van like for the whole season? 2010 we did. And then 2011, that was the year I won Euro Pro with that event. Uh, he didn't carry that week actually with a friend of mine. But I was I was at I was at Tour X with Nick Hibbs once and Ian Keenan was there. And Keenan was like, oh, What are you doing this year? So I'm playing Europe Pro, but got a camper van, we're gonna keep the cost down and, and do it a bit cheaper. And, and he looked at me and he said, Chris he said, just do it right, mate. Like, don't if you're gonna give yourself yeah. a chance to do it, don't don't like give yourself don't put yourself on the back foot by sleeping in a van. Like as much as you enjoy it and, yeah. and it'll do it, like give yourself the opportunity. And he says, I've been Keenan said, I've been skinned. But you've got to you've got to give it the sacrifice. So I didn't do it that year, uh, and obviously did all right that year. So, but yeah, we must have done. We had some good stories. 2010, we we had some belters in that van. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay, then, because let's move on to tour trash talk. Um, a little bit on the waste management open. I mean, like, what's your opinion? Like, if you, if you played that event, what's going to go through your head on that par three? Like, a lot of people are watching there. Yeah, I can only imagine, like, obviously this year it was a shame, isn't it? Obviously with COVID, it was nowhere near as, as crazy as it was. Yeah. And I can just keep picturing that one when Tiger made his hole-in-one and he was going mental, wasn't he? And there was beer cans everywhere. And that was before it was even, like, stadiumized, wasn't it? I think they just had one round yeah, the, yeah. the green. Um, that, yeah. But I don't know. I, I can imagine it's about 9-9, isn't it? And I think Like 9-9 be- for you out on tour, like, and for anybody out on tour, it's like, oh, yeah, you, you're thinking... I'm going to, good birdie chance here. As soon as you put that many people around you, you're like, yeah. shit, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, uh, I played that KLM um, in Holland and they did it on the 14th there. They had, it was only about a night, it was even like a, maybe a wedge and, and it was fully stadium, obviously nowhere near as big. Um, and it is pretty intense, yeah, because you know, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's watching you and it's like yeah, a yeah. pretty relatively easy shot and you just feel embarrassed, I think, if you were to miss it. 
So I think it's yeah. more probably the embarrassment going through your head, thinking, you know, I'm a pro here. I should be able to hit this pretty close. And you make a mess of it. It's just then, sheer, embar- sheer embarrassment, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess when the adrenaline starts pumping, yeah. you're thinking, well, oh, it's a nine iron, but my heart's going a bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to buy a nine iron. Like, so I'd be, all, I'd be all over the place, personally. <laughs> well, I remember, yeah. did you say it was on social media? Someone shanked it on Pro Tracer. Do you remember? I, I saw that. Was that the same event that little kid yeah. had a hole in one? Or, I think yeah. someone hit real <laughs> close. But then a guy of like five shanked it over the stand. <laughs> oh, oh my God. 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 So we'll just touch on the, how players finished for the event. So Brooks Kepka won with 19 under par. Xander Schofield second with Lee Kyung Hoon. Got that one, man, I, I had to practice that one. 18 <laughs> under par. And Orti Strickland Speak at 17 under par. So me and Alex basically do picks every week, Chris. So we picked yep. John Rahm and Roy McElroy to win that event. Yep. And we both, they finished tied 13. Not bad, that. So, bad. all right. But the thing I want to talk about with you, Chris, so Brooks Kepka obviously has come out and won that event. But there's been like a few weeks where he's been going on like he's not, he's basically split from his coach. Yeah. And I want to know how much difference does having a coach actually make? Because he came out in an interview and he was like, I don't really need that much coaching. And okay, yeah. he's one of those guys who's like a bit bravado, isn't he? But what yeah. what what do you guys work on when you're when you're working on it on tour? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Isn't it? I, I, the rumors I've heard is that Pete Gowan's coaching full time now because I know I know he was doing short game with Pete. Um, but yeah, th- these guys are good out there, and it's like for, for me, it's, it's similar to the caddy situation. It's like if these good players had the grandma on the bag, they'd probably still win, wouldn't they? Yeah. A lot of the time. So I'm not yeah, taking anything yeah. away from a caddy there, but the really good players are really, really good, aren't they? And when they're yeah, on, they're, they're on. Yeah, if they're playing good, they're going to play good, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And, and someone like Brooks, you know, he's been world number one, he's won numerous majors. Like, he's just good, isn't he? Like, he's not really struggling, is he? Do you know what I mean? It's no. like, and he should, like Tiger, he should pretty much know his tendencies and really what, what if he's going down the wrong route, what he's doing. Um, yeah. So they're never a million miles away. Like you got to think, Speed's yeah. going to come back and and p- perform well at some point, haven't you? Like that now is giving him a bit of confidence. You know what I mean? Give him another five, six events. Give him the Masters in April. It's a big, it's a big shout. But you could, you could it won't be a bad each way bet for the Masters now, probably. Speed. No, no, no. Sorry, that's going off in... topic of Brooks, but I think. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's probably just probably had a little bit of a slump. Stopped enjoying it a little yeah. bit and just thought, you know what, I need something fresh, something to spark a bit of love again and a few good shots and you're back at it, are you? But the thing is, you know, not, not having a coach, right? Like, in my opinion, like, from, like, being a little bit inside the ropes and, and looking at it from the outside in, like, a professional golfer is, like, I almost think, like, they're, they're, they're constantly on, like, a teetering edge of playing absolutely awesome, but then not playing so good. Surely, yeah. like... Having a coach, even if it's like remotely or whatever it is, like you'd you'd think like that would help him keep on that road of right, not straying yeah. too far away from his good or bad tendencies. Like, what what's your opinion on that? Do you do you think he's made a wrong? I mean, we're saying this guy's mm. world number one. He can't say he's making a wrong decision, but mm. what would you go about it? How would you go about that whole thing? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I guess in a dream world, you'd have a coach stood next to you hitting every shot you ever yeah. hit, wouldn't you, in, in theory? Because you'd never stray off then. Um, but then in, on the other side of that, I guess if you had a really good coach, 
he should be able to give you the tools and the knowledge to be able to fix it yourself and have that understanding of your swing mm. um, when you're on the road. So it's not practical to have someone there all the time unless you are a millionaire and you can you can pay that. But um, yeah. And I guess with Trapman and things like that, now you should be able to manage your tendencies yourself as well, I guess, and with launch monitors like, to, to a degree. But yeah, I don't know. It, I think like Paul used to say didn't he, that he didn't have much coaching and stuff, but then he's been, been with Pete Cowan, like kind of really. Um, so there's not many guys yeah. without coaches though, really. I don't, no, I mean, I mean, so I'm going to call it right now, Brooks. I hope he's listening to this. He's probably not, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a bit of bravado. I think, yeah. I think it's all bravado. I definitely think even if it's just a quick message, what do you think of this swing? What do you think of that swing? In my opinion, he'll be getting some sound advice from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And we've be a golf well, coach at the moment. Yeah, we've already said as well about how he come out and said about. Oh, I don't do any practice. I only practice when yeah. I'm. You, you, I only play golf when you see me playing. And that's part of me thinks that, like we spoke about DJ in the past and how he manages a golf tournament and the way he walks around the course and slows everything down and he does it. He's confident. Yeah. Part of me thinks that's part of that, like him bumping himself up and saying, "Nah, I don't need it. I'm good enough." Yeah. And it's yeah. obviously worked for this weekend. Yeah, yeah. There's so, a lot to it, like that. And like he says, he's a good player. And if he says he's a good player, then he's a good player, isn't it? That's what I used to say about things. I used to say yeah. about um, Brett Rumford, like, like he's obviously is an amazing bunker player, but he's probably even more yeah. amazing because everyone tells him he's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. do you know yeah. what I mean? I like, mean, there's a load of good, about him. Yeah. yeah, but there's a load of good like short game people, but Brett Rumford's the best. Why is he the yeah. best? Just because everyone's told him he's the best. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, yeah, I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Moving on to the next thing. Yeah, you mentioned Jordan Spieth, right? This is some mad stats. After that purple patch that he had, 237 days since his last top 10, 620 days since his last top five, and 1,294 days since his last win. Do you reckon he can win a major? Yeah. Well, he's your mate. You're yeah. big on Jordan Spieth. I, I, so. I, I like Jordan Spieth. I don't know what it is about him. Yeah. I think he's a... Um, I think, do you know I think it is? It's because he's not the longest. He's like quite a gutsy player and like gets stuck in and grinds it out. That's why I probably quite like him. Um, but can he win? I get another major. I don't know. I think I think so. He's got straight back. He's got in the mid. I know it's not a major event of playing, is it? It's a big event, but it's not a major setup. But he's just got to keep getting himself back in contention, hasn't he? And I think like okay, he's had that yeah. bad experience at Augusta from losing that lead, but he's he's won at Augusta and. Like, that's all it takes, I think. Like, if he plays well now for the next two months, I think get into Augusta, it's okay. He might not pull it off, but I wouldn't put it past him being somewhere in contention. I've never, I've not yeah, followed him. He's not, one of them, he's got the experience there. Yeah, I've not followed him enough. I've just heard a few people saying that, like, he just drives it off the planet, doesn't he? Like, and he's, but he's, and he's, he's amazing short game and putting still, but I don't know. I think. He's got back in contention, and there was obviously a lot, a lot of pressure on him, wasn't there? A lot of hype last yeah. week. Yeah. So. That's the thing. I think he's obviously because he was quite young when he started on the PJ Tour. He's quite young when he won the Masters, and like you said, that that hype's obviously affected him in some way. Personally, I don't see why he can't, because especially at Augusta, anything can happen. Yeah. Like if he can put four decent rounds together. There's yeah. no reason why he can't be up there. He's good enough, isn't he? So yeah, and I think Augusta. Like anybody could 
Well, it's not, <laughs> is it? It's Jordan Spieth. I, my four decent rounds at Augusta would be very different to Jordan Spieth's four decent rounds, wouldn't they? Yeah. So, but Augusta as well. Augusta, <laughs> Augusta, you probably don't have to drive it as well, do you? It's pretty, it's pretty wide. No. Yeah. So, Relative to, like, your other majors. Yeah. Like, geez, compared to Birkdale, where it won. <laughs> I've just played Birkdale yeah. on the sim and it is tight. <laughs> Dog legs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to another talking point that's been huge recently on the PJ Tour. Patrick Reed. So we sort of had a bit of a rant about this last week. Oh, I went in. Alex absolutely lost his head. Um, and we've also <laughs> done a bit of a funny video on TikTok. So and we went got, semi-viral. Really. It went semi-viral. We got 50 odd thousand views on it. And... We got a load of abuse as well. Yeah. So bucket, <laughs> bucket loads of abuse. Um, so what's your opinion on it? Like, I know people have come out and said, well, he's got form for it and things like that. What do you think? Have you ever seen anything? Like, I don't expect you to say, yeah, I've seen such and such do it on tour, but is this something that happens or what? I think there's a oh, lot Chris more. Chris's got to go. step on eggshells uh, right now, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> no, no. I think there's a lot more goes on than people think. I think, yeah. I think golf's got this hidden this image very well. I think I think golf portrays this super uh, etiquette and like respect. And end of the day, it's, it's high level elite sport with with heck of a lot of money involved. And, and yeah. I can't like I was talking to someone about there was a boxing documentary on this week or something about corrupt level boxing. I think every other sport's corrupt, isn't it? So I know exactly. There's got to be people, in, and I've heard, I've heard plenty of stories of players over the years of, of interesting situations that they've got into, and um, and obviously in the amateur game you hear it all the time, don't you? It's it's, yeah, it's no yeah. it's no different, yeah, and it's probably the, like with golf, it's like okay, the, the top Patrick Reed's just bonkers because he's on camera, he's leading the tournament the majority of the time when he has his little incidents, but you know I mean, the rest under other under other players are very rarely. They're on their own a lot of the time, even with spectators. Half the time, it's yes. it's a very interesting sport for that. And I think, like I say, golf. I think it looks to me that the PGA Tour and the European Tour brush a lot of it underneath the underneath the carpet to to hide, yeah. well, to protect that image of golf. I think. Yeah, and, and like a lot of the players came out and said that he's protected by the PGA Tour. I think it was Andrew Schofield that said that he's protected by the tour. But the fact that these players are saying it. It stinks, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's almost as if for me, yeah. okay, we had people saying to us, like on the comments, he did everything by the letter of the law, but it's how he's gone about it, the questions that he's asked, the way yeah. that he's pitched the conversation. Isn't like, it? How yeah. would you feel? Like, imagine you're in a tournament and you, you, you finish second or third to, to this person who'd won. They didn't quite break the rules but they bended the rules to favour them you'd, you'd feel cheated wouldn't you a little bit yeah. as a player you'd think Bloody hell, I, I've done this to letter the law this person's taken advantage so he's probably going to lose quite a few friends if, if he had any in the first place so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm not a big fan he, he mugged me off in Germany once uh, asked cool. him for a charity Beat, come on oh, no I just I asked him for an autograph for, on a charity picture we were doing we were doing a charity ball we were doing and they got a load of, load of players to sign a poster just mugged me off go and see my manager i was like i was like come on man like oh jeez wow. so that pissed yeah. me off jeez, anyway, it's, then, it's not like you just random person walking up to me. yeah but anyway it, it, it whether what he did was right or wrong in that last event he, 
it just seems a bit suspect, doesn't it? I think. Certainly yeah, not doing yeah. himself any favours. And he's made a run for his own back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think before we go to the open tour, we'll touch on the rangefinders because obviously it's PJ Tour events that it's going to be used on. So yeah. They're basically no one's heard this. They're basically allowing players to use rangefinders on the PJ Tour and in the majors over there as well. And the idea in it is that it speeds up play. I got yeah. two points on this. Is it? Do you really think it is going to speed up play? Because surely players are just going to spend as much time trying to find the fight, yeah, trying yeah. to look at the, how far is the bunker, how far is this, how far is that. Then the other thing, how yeah. are they going to? They must. They must have some form of partnership with a rangefinder, whether it's professional yeah. or whoever, because a it's good advertising, but b they've said about they can't use the. For the hill, the slope. The one of them. I'm waving my hands around it. The thing is, though, slope. what people don't realise, and Chris will probably, I'm probably echo what Chris is saying in a minute, like, those books that they have are quicker than a rangefinder because they can get a book out. How far is that bunker? That, all right, take the slope off. And if a good yeah. caddy would have already worked out how far it is to that bunker because you've already yeah. taken the slope off. Yeah. In my opinion, it's going to make it longer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it is because I think what's going to happen, it's going to end up creating loads of indecision as well because... Players will do the book. Caddies will do the book regardless. Uh, I think the caddies are probably gonna. I reckon they might even push against it. They might like, unless there's loads of money involved in a caddy showing they've got always got a bushnell out or something. Like, I can see them not doing it because they're in the habit of like walking it out, like you said. And you walk it. I think Joe Public don't realise how quick they do that before they get to the ball. Like the caddy will be thirty yards ahead and done it, won't it? The player gets to it, it's done. Yeah. Um, so I think. For me, it's 100% it's not going to speed it up. It might speed 10 shots up in the tournament where they're in the rough and they just they just go, zap, pins at the back, zap it. Yeah. They'll still check it to see how far the pin is over the bunker. But yeah. if the mile's offline, it'll speed up yeah, a small percentage of shots. But in the grand scheme of a whole tournament, it's pointless. So I think, like you say, I think, <laughs> like, like everything really, I think it's probably... It's probably the PGA have passed it and Bushnell or Nikon have said, here's three million quid, let's have a go with rangefinders. And they've bunged loads of sponsorship. Do you know that and that's as crazy as it probably is. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And just before yeah. we move on, oh, I got one more thing, I didn't put this in the list. But um the whole bifurcation. So splitting European tour oh European tour, splitting amateur with pro. Like you, you, you just be sent there. Like you, you teach them elite amateurs. Like, how yeah. would they fall into this? Like, where would they be? And what's your opinion on it all? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's bullshit. Yeah, I think it's bullshit because, like, like you say, if you're an elite amateur and you're playing a ball and you're playing a plus five, you're playing for England or whatever, and you're used to it, and the next day you're a pro. What's what's going to happen there? Like, it's just it's simple yeah. as that. Like, it doesn't work. I, I totally. And I think Rory had some valid points, didn't he? Like, they are, the professional golfers' world are such a small minority of like the golfing mm. nations. Like, and I don't, I've not heard. <laughs> there's a few old school pros who probably be against it, but I don't know many young modern day pros who want to roll anything back. Like, and it's you and know, it is pretty exciting. Like for me, I don't. For me, I wouldn't mind it if they said, right, we'll make the driver head smaller. Just so you've got to find the middle, it looks a bit more intimidating and it may be a bit harder to hit the middle. But like, so, and then it's, there's a bit more skill in that. But you still, everyone can still hit it a long way. But if you miss the face, yeah. it's bloody, it's bloody hard. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't. It's it's what, not, the best idea I've heard. It's just not. It's just not that forgiveness there. You know, that, that time when you, your toe hit one and it toe duck hooks down the fairway and runs forever, or you neck it and it just cuts up in the air. Them shots are going, them shots are dead. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you roll it back to like every someone's hitting a three wood size head or something, or maybe not even that small, like a 360, well, what are they now? 460, so like a 360 head or something. I think it just brings a, just brings a bit more skill into it for ball striking. The, the middle's still in the middle, isn't it? So, if you're good, you're still good. Yeah. Um, but you, you don't want to make it harder for bloody Joe Bloggs, do you, off 20 handicap? No. There's but the thing is, I think as I thought about this, is like, if you're DJ, you're Rory, you're Ram, you're still going to be the longest. All you're going to yeah, do is play the same length of golf course and yeah. make it harder. For, yeah. Like you like to Soren Kelsey, who doesn't hit it yeah, as far, yeah. for example. Yeah, you're still going to be 30 yards past them. Yeah. And yeah. the dispersion's, and the dispersion's still the same <laughs> then, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, and I think for me it's almost as if it's all come about because Justin Johnson's been hitting it a mile on tour for for years. Bryson's yeah. come back, pumped up, ready to go. It's almost like a bit of a witch hunt, and I think it just stinks mm, a bit. Yeah, yeah, not wanting to change things, not liking it. Well, actually, yeah. he's probably bringing a whole different audience to the game. Oh, massively! Look at like all these young kids now. This George Gankus, like just loving golf, aren't they? Smashing it, like just. It's brought in a new, it's brought in the next era of golfers who are like starting to enjoy golf, cap yeah. on backwards, like smashing it, like skateboard shorts and just enjoying it as a casual sport. So you but... teaching that, Chris? Yeah, yeah, it's me. I'm all over that. Yeah. Jeez. Cap on backwards, uh, skateboard shorts. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like, you're right. You're okay, right. I, I totally agree. And like when Tiger won the Masters in 97 or something, he averaged 320 or something. And like every year, 320 has been like, the leading driver, but there's just more guys yeah. at 320 now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not like all of a sudden someone's gone 350 average. It's like the average is still long. There's just young kids are growing yeah. up as athletes, and the the depths just got higher. Exactly. For me. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Completely agree. Okay, pal. Let's let's move on to uh, Saudi international uh, DJ winner shock. Um, yeah. two. He just seems to turn up wherever he goes now and just absolute procession with him and his brother on the back. Yeah. So, Josh put a question down here. Go on, Josh. Um, can we see past DJ? Yeah, can you see past him for the Masters, Chris? What do you think? Well, speak in it. I ain't, I ain't joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, not you can't. You can't. Can, I, who can you look past? You can't, can you really? Man. Right. Thing. So, I mean, he's been so unbelievable. under control, isn't he? so under control, yeah. so chilled. Just like he doesn't look like he really cares, and he doesn't look like he's bothered. But then he puts them fist pumps in there, doesn't he? He just puts them fist pumps in, and you're like, this guy yeah. wants it. Like he wants to be the best. He is the best. Just yeah, I don't know. It's quality, isn't it? It's quality. Mega. Do you know what? I'm glad you said that about, about him not looking bothered because I said to Alex, when he won the Masters, I said to Alex on the pod, he swaggers around the golf course, he slows himself Mate, the guy down. was crying. Of course he cared. Yeah, at the end he did. But when he's playing, he swaggers around and he's yeah. almost everyone's looking at him thinking, he's not even arsed and he's wiping the floor with us. Yeah. And that is a mental game as yeah. much as anything else. I'm so glad you said that, Chris. Um, yeah. Just while we're on DJ. Did you see the video of him absolutely sniping a volunteer with his driver? So I don't know what hole it was. But <laughs> in Saudi? Yeah, yeah, in Saudi. Down the left. 
down the left. He hits it over the over the crest of the hill and he's caught his volunteer directly in the back on the yeah. full and he just crumples to the ground. Do you like, know what? Horrendous. Do you know what? He got loads of shit on Twitter for that. Do you know what I look? If you actually watch the video, you can't see who's you can't see anything. No, it's over the top of a hill. hill. Yeah, yeah, you don't just you don't you've got ball spots and stuff and you hit one over a hill, you don't shout four. You, you just you no. don't near. For me, you'd be always sure anyone was there. No, yeah. and it's not like he's way off. He's like uh, two yards off the edge of the fairway. Like it's a long way for him. That's well, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, I think Chris. So, players. Go on. Sorry, Chris. No, so I was going to say, um, speaking of DJ, obviously he's a top player. Um, what's in your opinion? Who's the best player that you played with? Um, and how do you sort of like prepare playing with them? Because obviously, with some of the big players, you're going to get more people watching your group. So yeah. more kind of attention with media. Like, sort of, how do you prepare yourself for that? Yeah. I played with Brooks Kepka, but that was wow. <laughs> that was no, back in the day. <laughs> we, need, we need the bloody opening sentence to be that was No, What's no, the man, crack in? Yeah, it goes downhill from there. I was like, that was like his first year, and he came out and challenged her. Um, but to be fair, it was very Brooks like then, a very DJ like then, just yeah. rocks yeah. up with his manager, like. I don't even know if he hit any balls, just turned up and smashed it 50 yards past me and just wandered off, like, just not bothered. Um, <laughs> play with some good players. I did a bit, I did an after dinner speech a few months before COVID and I worked it out for my career. I played like, I played like, like 80 people who have won on tour and I played eight, eight major champions now. Um, so that was quite cool. Play with Cabrera, that was cool. It was pretty chill. Another DJ. Um, I think going back to your story of how do you come, how, how, quite a funny story to be fair. I played French Open once and uh, so Paris National. I was on the range and Rory was next to me on the range. Like 300 people watching him at balls. Finished his practice session, turned around, no one there. <laughs> like he's just gone. Everyone's gone with him. You know what I mean? So like, I'm on the range hitting balls. Like, yeah, Rory's there. Yeah, it's, it's quite busy today and just showed you like, like, no one's interested in anyone else. Like, he disappeared and everyone went. Just crazy. You're probably hitting balls there thinking, shit, they're going to be watching me here as well. Like, <laughs> better make sure this looks half decent. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I, I know it happened again last year. Last year, Spanish Open. I was on the practice ground. It was Saturday, or maybe even Sunday. And I'm warming up. I was like 20 or something. I was doing all right. I left the balls next to me in balls. There's like 100 people. Miss Cook. <laughs> and it's like they turn up to watch him and like it's like it's there practicing a little bit of a Saturday practice yeah, a little bit of a Saturday cheeky practice and he's got a crowd yeah <laughs> anyway so I don't think you can't really try and prepare any different for it you, you certainly you can certainly feel there's a difference in the the aura of the event and having people around I think just from that hustle and bustle of spectators and, and the noise you know something's going on but I guess as a player you just got to Try and do your own, your own stuff. Really, like getting his own. Yeah, yeah. So, two weeks ago, we had the Omega Dubai Desert Classic, and Chris, I know you finished sixth in this event back in 2018, um, and you obviously had with four of the top ten finishes throughout your time on tour. So, how do you pre- prepare differently for each event? Because I know we spoke about previously with Alex, like some European tour events could be reasonably quiet when you look at the ones like the ones in Dubai when they're all over TV and they're huge yeah. and there's so much hype around it. How do you prepare differently? 
Um, I'd like to think probably don't really prepare much differently, really. I think the only thing you've got to talk, probably take into account at those really crazy busy events is kind of like the um, like getting around and about and getting to the ranges, getting shuttle cars. Everything just takes a bit longer. It's just like on a Wednesday practice round, pro-arms carnage and there's reps everywhere, managed everywhere. And if you want to practice, you've got to be pretty pretty savvy in how you get on that range, haven't you? It's, whereas you go and play in Spanish Open, there's no one there and you can just do what you want all day. So, But in terms of preparation at an event it it wouldn't I wouldn't try and do anything differently it just might the, the timings of it might be a bit different so even so you wouldn't change anything with regards to the kind of course you're playing on or would would that change at all so are, are you playing in the desert yeah. it's hotter things like that yeah you, you might have a the odd club change um, or maybe different putter every week if you Gets, yeah, a bit frustrated on the greens. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, Naughty little you, collection of putters. This <laughs> yeah, you might you might put a five, you might put a five a five wood in there or a hybrid or a two iron or something or something. But in terms of, I, I was very, yeah, I had a set of clubs and I had a set of clubs where I didn't try and change other than maybe it might say a putter because I fell out with it. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's too too much difference there really for me. I remember watching um, the TV, Chris, when when you were up there in Morocco, final rounds. I think you were in the final group, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and and the last is last is a par five, isn't it? Like, and what what's going through your head at that point? Do you know you're in contention? Were you looking at the leaderboard, or are you just trying to stick to like, right, I've got this shot at that time? Because everybody says take yeah. it one shot at a time, but you you've got to know because especially when you know you're doing well, the TV cameras start to congregate around your group and, you, yeah. and your emotion probably changes, but what do you, how do you go about it? Yes, yeah, it's different on tours. Isn't it? I, I, I have played Euro Pro events and stuff in the past where I haven't looked at leaderboards and it's very, that's very, very hard to do because like, they're there, aren't they? And you want yeah. to look, so it's, it's an effort to not look. And I think Casey you almost make the situation of it without. Yeah. I think Paul Casey said he didn't look at a board in Dubai ever in that last round. And that's pretty, that's pretty amazing to do, especially when you've got someone walking around in your group with a carry board as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I remember in Morocco for me, I knew I couldn't win the tournament coming down the last, but I knew I was playing for like a big check and like a pretty career changing moment for me. Um, I remember I buried the last, I hooked a rescue onto the green in two, two putted. David Dixon missed about a two footer. So it meant, it meant me go one ahead of him. Which was like probably like just watching twenty grand going to your bank or something because he's like, <laughs> uh, hard lines, Dave. Hard lines, mate. Didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't, want, didn't want you to miss that putt, but you've just fed the family for a year, so <laughs> it's it's mad when you think about it like that, especially from a good, good yeah. golf point of view. Like, so we go out and we play on a Saturday, and you're playing for whatever in the pro shop, and that puts pressure on us. But you're yeah, sure, stood yeah. there. Making for 20 grand and it's like I'd be stuck like shaking yeah. like a leaf 20 yeah. pounds 20 pound worth of two shoot balls yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. but, but saying that just completely saying different that, level yeah saying that I've just said that 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 thought for me came after the after we'd missed and I, I honestly I honestly would say I've never been on the golf course thinking this puts for 10 grand this puts for a grand this put will cut I, I honestly I've never done that and I don't think people do because you won't play golf you couldn't do it yeah, like the money exactly. means yeah, you, you, yeah. You the money means a lot to me over the years because you're providing for your family and stuff. But 
on the golf course, I think 90%, 99% of top golfers are so process driven and into the routine and in the zone or whatever it might be that all they're trying to do is shoot one shot better than what they're, what they're on. And I think, and I, I, I believe that. I don't think there's a guy thinking, if I all this put, I'm going to win an extra 20 grand or something. I just don't think they do. Yeah, you can't. You can't do. You can't. You, can't do you wouldn't do it. You you you'd, you'd bottle it every time, and you would lose your card, and you'd pack in. Yeah. So, wait, on, on to another question here. Like, um, so going from Euro Pro Challenge Tour all the way, tell us what it's like going that journey on tour. Because I think a lot of people, especially like in Joshua Shoes Club Golfer, they just see as the Rory McIlroys of the world, yeah. Justin Roses. They almost go straight to the jugular. But also, another question I got for you is like, because you spent um, a while getting to the European tour, like you spent a long time away from your family, and you had a you you got a young family. Like, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was, it was tough. It's it, I think it's a, it's a fantastic lifestyle is playing golf when you're playing well and when you can financially afford to do it. Because I explained to someone yesterday, it's like I got my card end of fifteen, and it was like brilliant little celebration at the golf club, but I didn't have any money, and all of a sudden it, co- it was going to cost me sixty grand to play that year, like. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's an opportunity, but you might not be able to have that opportunity if you can't afford to do it. So, But then the, the whole, like you say, traveling and being away, I think my first two, I've got three kids now, the first two, like, I probably didn't see either of them for the first three years of their life for half, half of each year. And like, it's not done them any, I mean, we're a tight family and we get on really well and there's no, it hasn't affected them because that's all they knew. So they don't know any difference. Whereas like yeah, my, yeah. My, my youngest is one and a half and I've, never spent more than one night away from her in one and a half yes, years. Yeah. So totally different, like, I guess, upbringing for her and like having two parents every day. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of soccer, but don't get me wrong. Like the more I, I used, I used to think golf was quite different from anything else, but the more I think about it, the more I speak to people, it's no different to, to any other job or high profile businessman or anything yeah. like, or even a laborer, like a, a plumber or something like, self-employed you you, in, you set, up, set up to be a, a plumber you do your hard yards you do your training you invest your time you invest your money you get a big contract you get another contract it's like progressing through the ranks isn't it and like you spend time away traveling doing jobs in different countries like the so, golf is so similar to so many different things and people just think golf is this like yeah. different sport but it's, it's no different to being a self-employed person in another walk of life, I don't think. And I think that's what people don't really understand. I I obviously have the insight from speaking to Alex and him caddying and things like that. But I think people just see this as a sport where you're earning millions, you're playing on tour, you're traveling the world. It's amazing. But actually, yeah. the hard yards that you've got to put in, the money that you've got yeah. to put in is huge, yeah. especially like, Going through Challenge Tour, your pro onto European Tour, it's not easy. Yeah. It's really not. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you a quick stat, not a stat, like a little breakdown. So, putting sponsorship aside, because I've, I've had various sponsorships over the course of playing and stuff. But so I've played 15 years full time, and I had three years on tour, which were I had classes. Well, two successful years on tour, and my third year I lost my card, but I still won a decent chunk of money. So I think in those years, so this is not sponsorship or anything. This is just winnings. On the main tour, I won about 900 grand or something, right? On the that's what on Euros, that's what it's on the internet, that's what it says, yeah. So, 
and then years on Challenge Tour, years on Euro Pro, I worked it out. It's probably like a 20 grand a year job I've had. You know what I mean? When you've got exchange rates, when you've got, yeah. you pay your caddies, you pay your managers, you know what I mean? The um, withholding taxes. You know what I mean? So I've like had three decent years on tour, but breaking it down over, when it's all broken down, we got, like I say, sponsorship into that would bump it up. But like, it's probably 20 yeah. grand a year. 20 grand a year job. Like, that's mad. <laughs> if you haven't got sponsorship. You're spending 48, 40, 42 weeks of the year away, potentially. Yeah, some, some, yeah sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, some people would. Yeah, so I think, the, I think the brutal truth of it is if you've got a sponsor, great. You've got opportunity to, to make money at lower levels. But if you haven't, you ain't making money as a golf pro until you're keeping your card on the main tour. And doing it regularly, aren't you? That, that's yeah. the thing as well. I'm doing it year on year. Like, yeah. like you know, you, 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 didn't, you just, didn't you finish like two spaces outside in that third, that third year? You only just missed out on your card, didn't you? In the final oh, no, 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 I didn't. No, third year... I was like one fifty or something. Like. What, what was it? What was it? Year two? It was one year where you were in the final event and you played well. I can remember. Remember it? Am I getting mixed up here? I remember your first year. Year one, first year. I remember watching keep, the leaderboard and yeah, yeah, and you had to keep the card. But like that for me, that's like it sound might sound crazy to people listening to this. That's probably more exciting to obviously someone I knew, which is even more exciting. But yeah. actually, that end of the spectrum is quite. On her on undocumented until yeah. that final day of the season, yeah. like that's that where the people yeah. are in the hard yards. That was my biggest achievement as a golfer, keeping my card that first year. Like yeah. Yeah. getting getting my card was I was buzzing and like it was an achievement, but it's doable. Like it's in theory, it's what is it four eight fourteen rounds of golf, and if you play well, a lot of people could do it. So that was great, but keeping my card for me was you know. Like, that, especially from that category as well, when I started out with the last card. Um, yeah. that, that's the hard thing. Playing all the smaller, I played 20, 20 events, I think, on all the small events and kept my card. Whereas like the following year, I did a good category, played 28 events and played four Rolex events. Like all of a sudden it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rolex events, big yeah. money. Okay, would you change anything, Chris? Yeah, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change clubs at, at, like, oh, so like, like I said, yeah, I've kept clubs for a year, but then my, for me, my mistake, I, I used to be pretty steady. Like I'd make like three birdies around and a bogey, shoot two under most times. Like that was my sort of goal. Never shot a big low score, never shot a high score. Back end of 2017, changed to full Callaway bag, trying to get driver to go further. All of a sudden I started hitting a bad shot again. I started hitting it left. I'd, I'd got rid of that shot. So all of a sudden I'd brought in a left, was a bit too naive to how destructive it was and started making a, a seven or an eight in the first round or second round and started missing a lot of cuts. And for me, that was a big a big no-no for me and that was an expensive and a tough learning curve. Without, without trying to pry too much into that, did you make that decision because there was sponsorship or did you make that decision because you were just searching for extra yards? Yeah, there was yeah there, there was no sponsorship promise at all. I just they were providing what I felt like was a good service, and they were working really hard with me to get the driver what worked. But and naively on track, man, my good shots were better; they were longer, but my bad shot was worse. And I was just probably zoned into that good shot, what I was trying to strive for, being better. But on a range, you hit a bad one left, you just see another one up and hit another one, don't you? Yeah. Practice round, you snap up one, you just hit another one up. Doesn't matter. In a tournament, you make seven. He missed a cut, and I never made a lot of birdies. So all of a sudden, I was 
either after round one fighting to make the cut or out of the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Really interesting. So let's move on to this week's PJ Tour event. So it's the AT&T at Pebble Beach Pro-Am. So obviously because of Alex's inability to read, we are <laughs> now into the start of the first round. So um, my... We just normally go through the notable players. So we've got Daniel Berger, Paul Casey, Patrick Cantley, Jason Day, Fowler, Ricky Fowler, DJ's playing, Jordan Spieth playing. Yeah. Who do you think your pick would be to win this week? Put you on the spot. Chris, there's no cheeky check of the scores either. I know, yeah. Yeah. So at the minute, at the minute, Lashley is leading at six under. But I don't think any of the big guys... I say big guys, big dog team. Yeah, you say Casey's playing. Casey's playing. Casey's playing. Yeah. Yeah, he's obviously, sounds like he's got his mojo and he's obviously picked up that win very convincingly how he did it. Could, could be in for a good year, couldn't he? I think um, he's a he's a big game player. Loves him, loves his, he's a very confident person there. I think if he's got his confidence, then I think he could probably ride that way for a little bit longer. I think like you, you never know how long you're going to play well for, do you? And that window could be quite small. But like you say, he's, he's two weeks away from his last win, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Casey in there for a top five. Are you going for Josh? I I'm just having a look down the leaderboard now. It's cheating. I'm cheating a little bit, and I can't actually see DJ Jordan Spieth's tied 18. Your man's up there. Yeah. Not doing too bad. I, I'm gonna go. Oh, Paul Casey's a good shout. He's tied 18th as well. There you go. I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Chris. Oh, that's just the biggest escape. <laughs> so right, right, <laughs> Hello, decision. Everybody breaking news. Josh just copied Chris's decision. Um, I'm gonna go DJ. I'm gonna go DJ. That is who I'm gonna go with. Dominating. Okay, Chris. So you're now um, on this new sort of new journey to you now of um, coaching as well as well as playing. What is the one piece of advice that, that you always give like your elite players? Because these are the guys who probably look up to you as like this person's on tour, being on tour, had two good, really good years on tour, being competing on tour. What's one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah, I, whether it's my players or whether it's anyone really when I speak to people is, is, is surround yourself with a good team, a good group of people. Um, so it's not just a coach, is it? It's a it's a fitness coach, it's a psychologist, it's, it's a manager if you're at that level where you need one. Um, and have a good support network who are who are honest with you, who are, don't take any bullshit, who will give you the, the feedback. And as a player, you should be willing to, to take some feedback and and you might not do anything about it, but have that discussion. Um, so, yeah, a, a good team around you. Um, I think, I think practice-wise, from my point of view, like, there has to be a technical element to it, obviously. You need to get better. Um, but then there has to be an element where it's hard and where like, you push to your limits in practice. So when you play, it's a lot easier. Um, I did some coaching with a guy pre-lockdown. And he was a good player. He played Challenge Tour. He'd won on Euro Pro. He was having a bit of a slump. And he had a technical coach. And I just said to him, so, so what are you actually doing? Like, What's your practice look like? He just said, oh, I'm just hitting balls. I'm just working on technique. I just looked at him and just said, I said, listen, I said, you're better than that. Like, like that's just massaging your ego. That's just easy. Like, you can work on technique. You can see your ball fight. You can hit some good shots. Come back the next day. Everything's just rosy. For some players, it might work. But 
I had him in for a few sessions and it was crap. Like I made him fail. Like we made it really hard and it was hard and he, he failed at majority of the games. And then he went out the next week and it's not just down to the stuff we did together, but like he probably felt it was quite easy playing. So yeah. I think there has to be an element of that. I think there has to be an element of technique and I think there has to be an element of like just hitting balls for fun as well. I think, I think there's a balance. Um, and I think too many players, I think a lot of people would agree, get massively bogged down by the perfect swing or the perfect ball flight. And yeah. I was never, luckily enough, I was never that technical. Um, so I never got bogged down by the technique, like physical technique. I probably got too roped into my track, num track man numbers on tour being my numbers. So swinging to my path and club face. Whereas now I say to people that like launch monitors are a fantastic tool and I think used correctly, they help people massively. But for me, it probably made me too one-dimensional. It probably made me trying to hit that straight shot all the time, all that little fade. And I was pretty crap at drawing and fading it unless I had to go around a tree, unless it was there in front yeah, yeah. of me. If I wanted to hold it up in the wind or draw it in down a slope occasionally, like I just didn't have the... not the, well, I had the confidence and the ability to do it. And I think it just de-skilled me a little bit. So there's a time and a place for everything. And I think, obviously, everyone's very, very different. And I think if you're honest, if you keep some stats and you think, right, I am crap at this. This is something I need to get better at. I don't do this. Do I need to do it? You just need good people and good advice around you. Um, and it's not always about maybe, I don't know, like a lot of, a lot of people are good players and there's probably some really really easy wins for them to get to the next level but if they don't know what they might what they are or how to find them then they're going to be treading water on the lower toes for, for too long probably yeah, yeah. there's yeah. so long you can do that for isn't there? Like, yeah yeah financially yeah. yeah 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 you can't you can't yeah i'll give you i'll give you an example i had, a, I had a, a guy came to me and he was strokes gain i'm hitting i'm hitting it he was a young kid says i'm hitting it as close as i can all the time and his knowledge for strokes game was incredible. Like he knew every of that decade stats. He knew every every number, this percentage, this this strokes game for this shot. And he said, and I said, I said that's great. Like I agree to an extent. If the closer you get, the easier it should be. But those stats are only relevant if you're good at that range. Like them stats yeah. are saying, on average, the closer you are, the easier it is, which is true over the course of a thousand PGA Tour players. We did, a, we did a pitching test. It's absolutely horrendous. Mm. Like, so he was playing to his weaknesses, like thinking yeah. he was doing the right thing. He was trying to hit to 40 yards every time. And he couldn't hit it within 10 yards of his target from 40 yards. It was, so like, it was just a bit, of, a bit of education for him. I was like, I love what you, you know, but until you're actually good at that, then you might as well hit it to 80 yards, 90 yards, yeah. and get better at the other area. Yeah. So that was quite interesting, I thought. Really, really interesting. So, before we move on to set talk, because you give me shit about it, I'm going to advise my choice. I'm going to pick Ricky Fowler. I think he's going to do all right. He's got his new wedges in the, his new irons in the bag. He's going to win it. So, it's called, let, it's called peer pressure. That it is. So, let's move on to tech talk. So, we're going to pick your brains a little bit here. You just mentioned about well, we talked briefly about sponsorships and you going with Callaway, but it wasn't necessarily a sponsorship. It was just a service that they offered. There's been lots of talk recently about, I think it's that time of year, players moving, um, like Fleetwood joining the TaylorMade, yeah, yeah. Jason Day's gone as a free agent. So 
how if if you could choose, what would you be? I mean, you said that about you'd have kept your club the yeah, same, yeah. but if you could have yeah. the perfect scenario, would you stay? Would you be a free agent, or would you go with a tailor made Callaway things like that? Do you know what? I'll tell you another little story. So I remember pre, so just before the season starts in the Middle East, nearly everyone goes out to the Middle East and practices early. And so I was out at Jamira Golf Estates before the Dubai event. And I was doing a bit of testing with some Callaway clubs and some TaylorMade clubs and messing about and like trying to get something decent. And, and Justin Rose was there. And so I had maybe an hour, an hour and a half with the TaylorMade rep, you know, just... Here's three tra- shafts, try them. Here's a couple of heads. Yeah, that one's great. Look at them stats. Off you go. All right, okay, yeah, it's good. Justin Rose, two days. Two days doing it. I mean, wow. There's a, there's a bag there. 50 shafts, 20 heads. Two hours later, goes to lunch. Two hours later, comes back. Do you know what I mean? So like Tommy Fleetwood changing to TaylorMade is not a difficult thing to do. Because yeah, yeah. like I, I listened to a podcast. Um, it was... Adrian Rietveld, Taylor-made guy who's now in America and can't remember who the host was. I won't plug them now because I don't know who it was. So anyway, it was, um, <laughs> and it was all about the process with Fleetwood and Fleetwood got sent loads of gear to his house in England and he tested it before Adrian flew from America to England to test it with him. Oh, no, they, met in, they met in Dubai. So Fleetwood had tried all this stuff at home, met in Dubai and it was an interesting podcast, to be fair. And uh, I think the detail that goes into them top players and what they want, like, it's crazy, isn't it? The money's so big that if Fleetwood wants his irons to look like a set of irons and stamped up with a tailor-made thing, that's what happens, isn't it? It's not, it's not difficult yeah. to do that. So I think for the top players changing, as much as they get a load, of, a load of crap for it, I don't think it's a big deal. Like, John Rams moved to Callaway, hasn't he? Finished top 10 or whatever yeah. last week, 13th, like... He's not just picked up a set of calories off the van last week, has he? And gone out to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these look all right. We'll look at these what, yeah. will we? <laughs> he hasn't, has he? Do you know what I mean? So, like, they get a lot of shit players for that. Like, like the, the club, they probably could probably use anything and do quite well. I think, and the, people say it's not for the money as well, but there's probably a hell of a lot of, like, hmm. oh, yeah. I can imagine Fleetwood's on two or three million or something to change to tailor-made. And yeah. it's probably spent a week with him getting it right. It's, I don't think it's that difficult, really. I don't see. I don't know. You see a lot of changing year on year down down the ranks, don't you? I think like yeah. Callaway. Mm-hmm. Callaway. I remember the marketing strategy. I'll tell you. I was with, I I was contracted to TaylorMade for two years for driver, and TaylorMade paid everyone money. Like I reckon sixty percent or something. That's a guess, but. 60% of players are getting paid to use the driver. Um, next year, no one. Threw all the money at the top five players in the world, changed the marketing strategy Strategy from everyone seeing everyone with tailor-made to, well, you just see the best players in the world use it. So that's, it's the best. Yeah. And that's what changed. And then all of a sudden, Callaway yeah. paid everyone. So then Callaway went, everyone got paid pretty much. And it was like a massive swarm of Callaway everywhere. And TaylorMade was trying to stay top heavy with the top players in the world. So I don't know. It's it's money. For me, it's. I remember, I remember when people used to go like tour school. TaylorMade used to be there on yeah. in final stage, didn't they? And yeah. literally, they're trying to get every change in the driver potentially going into <laughs> final stage. It's probably yeah. your, your lesser players. I remember caddying for Tom, 
and this we, we had this um I'm I'm in our group and I I don't you might be Scandinavian and I was talking on the fairway and, and he mentioned oh yeah I got a new driver in the bag this week I felt like saying to him what the freaking hell are you doing yeah but they're basically trying to get so much gear in your hand because at that time I think like Chris said like you turn pro you use their uh, equipment uh, at final stage and you got a card they would then pay you basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and and again and in that situation in that situation if you've not got any money and someone said right here's twenty grand if you get your card. It's a bloody tough situation to be in, isn't it? In reality, yeah. and you back yourself, me, you play well with what works for you, and you win a load of money. But if you've not got any money, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. And to me, that almost looks like as well, at that level, it's like they're potentially doing what you see in football with, with um, clubs, buying out younger players, buying younger players, getting them into the club, just in case they are like mm-hmm. that absolute yeah. diamond just in case you find the next Tiger Woods oh, just in case it's almost like they've got to get in there early get our clubs in there yeah. and just in and then we'll sack them off down the line if, if yeah. they don't make it kind of thing and I think yeah. something that this conversation's highlighted for me Chris is the massive massive gulf that is just in golf like you've got the likes of Tommy Fleetwood DJ up there at the top that make this game look glorious but actually yeah. it's a slog yeah, it's a graft, and even down to the, the the manufacturers only putting the clubs in their hand. Very very smart marketing, but it's just throwing money at the top 10, 20 guys. Yeah, and then the rest of the, everyone else is just absolutely scrapping. Yeah, yeah. You've got a few companies like like Mizuno. I remember people saying um, might not be exactly right on this, but just from what I've, I'm someone's told me this, so it might be right, might be wrong, but it's pretty legit, I think. So like Mizuno wouldn't. Pay, they might play like Donald Wood, a few guys like, but like they didn't pay you a return. They paid you on performance. So they basically right. said, "Listen, our irons are that good. If you want to use them, you can use them, but we don't need to pay you because they're good. If you do well and finish top five, we'll give you a bonus." You know what I mean? And, and for me, that's kind of like how football should be. Nearly like you should get rewarded if you run more yards, make more tackles, yeah. score more goals, save more penalties, or whatever. And like you'd think people would try out of them, wouldn't you? Yeah. So yeah, hundred percent. Anyway. Just chilling. That's the thing. Just chilling. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned about Taylor Made and the Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned about Taylor Made and the money that they're throwing at people. So this is the last little bit for today. Taylor Made's up for sale. I looked at this this week, and the so Taylor Made was bought back in 2017 yeah. for, for 425 million. They reportedly could be sold for up to two billion dollars. Like to yeah. me, where's that money coming from? That's a, so yeah. many gold. That clubs. is ridiculous. I, but I heard Adidas that as well. Themselves. <laughs> yeah, I heard someone say that that there's companies like who bought TaylorMade who just go in, buy companies, take everything out of it, like wage bills down, yeah. sack people off, like then go brand heavy, get the brand up there, and then it's and then flog it. And like that's just like a consortium yeah. of people who have got a shed load of cash and can afford to make a shed load more cash. But exactly, crazy, and it's almost like you said about the one year throwing money at everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost whether the the years probably, match up or not, I don't know. Time quite well, yeah. yeah, exactly. They yeah. bought them, and then oh, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is <laughs> we're going to give it DJ. Day, uh, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, and fuck this. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story, right? I was 
my he's still my manager actually. We worked with the 2020 tour with him at Rocket Yard, and he was the tailor-made manager when I was on tour. But now he works for himself now. And uh, I said to him on the phone yesterday we were talking, and I said, "Do you know what? I said, when you were the manager, I said the year I got in the Open, 2014, it was the only year tailor-made didn't do a staff bag for the Open." Mortified. So I've gone on the truck. <laughs> I'm like, on the truck. Come at me. Till- <laughs> Come at me. Tailor-made staff bag. It's going to sit in my bedroom for the rest of my life. Sorry, we've not done one this year. I was like, what? Oh. And it was, and it was like, it was like this new guy had, that had a new MD at Tailor-made and he was like, he cut all costs and that was like one of the costs. Cut out toe bags. Didn't need to spend that. Didn't need to spend that 50 grand or whatever it is this year. I was like, come on. I was like, <laughs> oh, God. not even which one for me. Yeah. <laughs> just one. Jeez. Yeah. So I made sure I got an extra driver on the range that week. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Chris, oh, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's been good, guys. Really good. Enjoyed Thank it. It's been nice to talk. And guys, thanks so much. All golf. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? Like, I mean, Chris sent me a little message actually saying, like, um, before I come on the pod, oh, it's nice not just to, sounds big editor, doesn't he? Talk about me. Uh, <laughs> um, but actually talk about other stuff. And, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed Chris's insights into like current topics right now. Um, so yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, and thanks, to- Chris. Pleasure, and guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Well, um, we'll be back next Wednesday. We'll be on time, don't worry. We'll get it right next week. Um, so thank you, everyone, for your support. Thanks again, Chris, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, guys. Awesome, boys.